Welcome to the Workshop Therapy Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew, and today joining me, I feel like I should have a really dramatic and thought-out introduction, but I don't, so I'm not going to. I'm just going to introduce the Grant Alexander himself. Oh, thank you for that. Welcome to the podcast. That was a wonderful, thoughtful introduction. I really appreciated all the details you went into about me and what I do, and uh, yeah, that was uh, wonderful. Well, I, I do know some details. You you are Canadian. You live in Ottawa. Yeah. Did you actually live in Ottawa, or are you yeah. on the outskirts in the... So I'm in Nepean, which used to be its own city, and it was actually even bigger than Ottawa, but then there was an amalgamation, uh, and so now, now it's part of Ottawa. Yeah. Okay, so you, you are in Ottawa. And since I'm, uh, since I'm Western Canadian, I'm from Alberta, I'm obligated to despise you completely. Understood. It's like it's just complete feelings mutual. <laughs> it's complete, complete uh, Canadian culture uh, revelation for uh, for American listeners here. Is those of us in Western Canada, it's it's part of our like citizenship to to despise people from the east and people from the east to despise people from the west, right. except and for all people- the Maritimers who all work in Alberta. Right. And it's not even, you don't even hate the people from the East. It's more you just hate the people from Ottawa because that's where the federal government is. And it's you, true. And, and you're just anti government. I get it. I understand. Well, and, and Toronto. But then everybody hates well, Toronto except every, for yeah, Toronto. I, I think the people in Toronto hate Toronto people. So that's, that's why it's such a terrible place. Yeah. Montreal. Western Canadians are also obligated to hate Montreal. Hmm. And and I think, but I think that kind of goes back to the whole government thing, though, too, right? Because basically, Ottawa, Toronto, and Montreal control the entire rest of the country. Yeah, fair. We do. That's a hundred percent. Everything I do is just to try and put the screws to people in Alberta. Yeah, that, that's that's our prime minister's goal. At least it was his father's, anyway. Well, let's not get into politics of from countries that no one cares about um hey hey we're 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 one of the most important countries in the world to canadians yep we're probably second on most people's list (laughs) in canada (laughs) yeah anyway uh yes other details i do know you work for the government i won't i won't share what you do because we have talked about that but uh, then again since i'm a you know albertan i have um again obligated to despise you for that Yep. Um, let's see what else. What else? That's you, all good. You're disappointed I can... that I didn't stop and visit you on the way by there. That's right. You were so close. Driving all that way, you couldn't couldn't just pop in for a glass of water. It goes back to that prejudice, right? Like, that's... Right. But uh, it, instead of us uh, belaboring this point, I'll just say, uh, you know, I'm a maker who lives in Canada and likes to make stuff, and then I like to make videos about making stuff. Oh, there we go. There you go. What are you working on currently? Because is that your is that your maker swap thing? I see you wailing on some metal and stuff on the social medias. Unfortunately, I'm not going to make anything for maker swap this year um, for a couple of reasons. One, I I I bought my tickets late. Uh, I was didn't want to like go into a bunch of debt to to buy tickets just to do something, and you know by the time you factor in gas and all the other crap that goes into going down to maker camp. I was just like, I want to make sure I have the money before I do it. So I, I waited until I had the money. And then on top of that, uh, Keith got into my head 
uh, with uh, talking about you had to bring your best. And I was like, well, I don't know if I have a best. I don't know if my best is good enough for Keith. Um, and and that was mainly I, I that's just more of a I did I didn't think I had enough time to dedicate to doing something that I thought would be considered my best. Fair enough. Although you did shoot my, uh, I was going to make a joke about how Keith said something about it's okay to bring a keychain, but yeah. I don't. Uh, if I, I brought you a ruined keychain, that for me, it would be the best keychain. It would be hundred dollar bills wrapped up in a. <laughs> that, well, there you go. That that actually that wouldn't take too much time. You take your hundred dollar bill, cast it in epoxy. Yep. I mean, if you're taking a, a Canadian hundred dollar bill down there, I guess it's only like fifty bucks. But you know, still, yeah. cast that in resin, drill a little hole in it. Looks expensive. Hey, maybe next year. Maybe next year. But uh, yeah, no, I just had that. Uh, so what I'm actually working on is uh, a fire pit. Uh, like the bottom piece of my fire pit rusted away, and it's like circular, uh, like stamped sheet metal thing and it rusted away and the rest of the fire pit looks much better a lot lot, still a little rusty but not it's still got at least five years left in it so i had some sheet metal sitting around and i thought i'd try my hand at uh whacking away with it at a hammer and uh i took it out of the form today and it turned into a potato chip so i had to put it back in the form and and keep working on it beat it some more that's the one thing actually about metal that that is probably a little more forgiving is the repairability of it? Yeah, I, I, I think if you know what you're doing, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. I, I actually uh, one of my uh, one of my many jobs that I don't think I've ever actually talked about is uh, when I worked in the oil field. I did industrial insulation for a while, oh, so I did lots wow. of sheet metal type of things and all of that forming and you know rolling beads and crimping and hammering things into place and all that jazz yes i'm I'm eventually gonna have to figure out how to make the edge of it roll over in a circle i don't even know how to roll it over on a flat so it'll be fun Uh, on a circle that's pretty difficult especially to do with do it without like a bead roller yeah that's Um, what i was thinking but uh hey guess what i didn't do this because i thought it was easy i didn't do this because i thought it was hard I did it because I thought it was going to be easy, even though it is hard. Yeah, it's a. It's a have you seen the the reel that goes that spin around about? Uh, I didn't. How do you know how to do all this stuff? Like because I grew up poor. <laughs> yeah. If I didn't that's, learn how to do it, it didn't happen. That that is how a lot of the stuff happens for sure. If I want something, I could. But then I think about it and I look and I go. In reality, that's not true. Because if I just didn't spend any of that time making this stuff and buying the tools, even if you get, like, none of my tools are, like, new and fancy or anything like that, or most of them aren't. If I didn't spend all that time and money on the tools and the materials, I could have taken all that money and just bought the things I made. And I guarantee I'd be ahead. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you, you could take all the time. <laughs> yeah, you could take all the time that you spent goofing off and go work at McDonald's and probably make enough money to buy all the crap that you're. But at the same time, then you're, you know, uh, then you're working at McDonald's and 
no offense to anybody who does that, but I would rather be wasting my time in my shop. And this is where it's a lot, like, that's what I mean. Like, psychologically speaking, if I had spent all that time working, like I did when I was, like, in my early 20s, it was all work, right? It was, like, focus on work and school. So I went to school full-time, and I worked, like, 30 or 40 hours a week. So if school's considered to be, like, a full-time job of 40 hours, well, then I was also working another 30 to 40 every week. And that was what I did for quite a long time, and... uh you know, you can only do that so much when you're not you're not feeling the. I guess in school you have that little bit of creativity sometimes, hopefully, uh, that you can get an outlet. But if you're, you know, if you're not making things, I don't know what other people. I don't know people who don't make. I don't know what their outlet is. But uh, video games. That's not an outlet. Like you're not. Or shopping. That's still that's an inlet, right? I think that's probably why there's a lot of depressed people out there. I think so, actually. That's that's one of the things that I've been digging into the literature whenever I have a chance to do it for school is uh, handcraft and and depression, mental illness. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm there, there's very little information there. There's there's a bunch of like art therapy stuff that's a creative outlet, but I'm I'm more interested in like the specific hand skill you know, craft more so than most of the art therapy is like expressive painting sort of things, which, right. which is fine. It has its place, but, but there's a, there's an entire realm beyond painting that, that requires people to, to have skills. And, and I, I wonder personally if it's like a, a mental thing for people to, I don't know how to do this, and that's that's a a mental weight on them, right? Like I can't change right. a light bulb. Is this is a I can pay somebody to do it, but there's still that background of I'm incompetent because I have to pay somebody to do this, right? That's probably what I feel like the most, uh, and probably why I do things that I shouldn't be like I shouldn't be doing them, like. Even, like, I'll get up on my roof and I'm afraid of heights to change shingles. I shouldn't be doing that. I should just be paying people. But I needed to do it first myself before I was willing to pay someone else to do it. Yeah. So that I could say, no, I know how to do it. I just happen to have extra money, I guess. That's why I'm doing it this time. I'm paying someone. That You know, I've rationalized in my head this, uh, you know, way of, of making sure that I don't feel incompetent is because I've been up there, I've replaced the shingles when they've blown off before. So the next time it happened, and it wasn't the ones that I installed, the next time a bunch of shingles blew off, I called someone up. And the difference between the time it took me, which was probably like from like the moment I arrived on the site with the shingles, was probably four hours when I finally got down. And they came, and they were up on the roof, and they replaced three times as much shingles as I did. They were up on the roof and back down in 10 minutes. It was insane. And I'm like up there like, I don't know. I, I, you, when you don't know what you're doing, it's so you're so inefficient at it, right? And you're like making sure super, like got to get these nails in just perfect. Got to, you know, make sure I get the, you know, roof sealant stuff to, you know, really get it good on there and make sure there's no gaps or anything like that. And uh, yeah, when you're experienced, you do stuff so much better. 
but yeah and, and you get the my problem is is that i end up i end up putting like furniture maker precision into rough carpentry projects right right and 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 i've built houses before too so i know rough carpentry but there's this background part of me that's yeah but it's a it's a 64th of an inch out of square doesn't make a difference on a rough frame wall but it still bothers me Right. Well, this is where I really like like Anne of All Trades. If you watch her projects over time, she knows when to use rough carpentry and when to use like furniture level, you know, when you start measuring in the 64ths, you know, you're getting into metalwork, right? When you need to take out digital calipers for doing something in woodworking, you've done it wrong, in my opinion. You've definitely done it differently. Uh, do, do you follow? Do you follow Daryl Peart at all, or Daryl no. Peart? Uh, no, so he's know. a he's a furniture maker in Seattle or something like that. I think he's where okay. he is, somewhere in Washington. But he does a lot of CNC stuff with okay. his furniture making, and and he does some really good, cool stuff. Like he he does a lot of green and green style furniture. And uh, anyway, yeah, he he's he's big into perfectly accurate measurements but yeah there's there's a there's a place for that but for the most part yeah you see the people who are who are setting up their table saw with their calipers or whatever and they're measuring everything to the thousandths of an inch your humidity change tomorrow is going to change how that fits right and that's why that's why you got to understand you you have to understand the everything to understand why and i think we were talking about this in the pre-show it's like you need to the pre-show after show wherever you put it the patreon exclusive part of this the, uh, thank we were, you for the plug go go sign up on patreon so you can talk you you can hear what we're talking about right but it's like you need to know the rules to know when you need to break them right so you need to have a a your your fence needs to be aligned perfectly getting your fence to your to your blade within the thousands great like when you're setting it up and making sure it's all great that sounds like a worthwhile time setting up your measurements between the blade and the fence you don't need that for wood no no and and well even when it comes down to to like setting up the fence if you're crap at that and you learn how to use a hand plane it still doesn't matter right (laughs) i just posted a reel this morning um showing some of the furniture that i saw on on my trip here and there's some bloody big gaps in stuff that is in modern art furniture or, or museums right like right. art galleries these are antiques that have lasted a thousand years one of them and and it's got some big gaps in it and it's still holding together fine you know people i think people over obsess about precision and and perfection and forget well, I- the the value of it being handmade and not being there's, perfect. So there's like two problems here. Uh, there's the survivor effect where oftentimes people look at old furniture that's that's lasted the true test of time and they go, we used to make it better, but we didn't. You're just only looking at the stuff that survived, right? Yeah, so you sure. didn't see all the, the garbage like that fell apart. Because it's not there for you to look at and say, we, we used to make it better. If we used to make it better, why aren't there so many Model Ts on the road? Like, 
You know what I mean? Well, we didn't because they're not. They weren't the best car in the world. The cars yep. today are made so much better than cars of two decades ago, even. Uh, but so it's the survivor effect. Is you're only seeing that. But it's also people. It used to be a lot more utilitarian. And if it was good enough, it was good enough. If you look at antique furniture and you look at antique dovetails, they're made to hold it together, not to look. They didn't do it for the looks, right? Well, yeah, and that's exactly what I mean. Is like You're right on the whole survivor effect. The stuff that you see, there's millions of pieces that ended up in the fireplace right. relative to the ones you see. But yeah, that, and that's what I mean. You look at the dovetails. Like I went saw this Bombay chest of drawers in uh, Springfield and veneer work is immaculate it's a beautiful looking piece and then I'm looking at the drawers and the back side of these drawers there's like an eighth of an inch gap in the dovetails right yeah and it's still holding together fine but... you got to you got to know the rules if you're going to break them yeah right and and you uh yeah I guess the other side of it too is you see this these old pieces of furniture with big gaps and stuff and you go oh look at these big gaps and you have to recognize that there's some trauma involved in the in that furniture's life too. That's probably caused that. Well, and if it continued the it continued down that route, it probably would fall apart. Well, there's definitely that too. And just thinking about the the way it was like the humidity changes it's gone through in its life. The you know the hot and the cold and the expanding and contracting constantly has probably made it so that it's not gonna it's never gonna look as good as it did when it first came out. Yeah, and now it's sitting in this perfectly controlled, humidity controlled environment and now it's stable. But you're still not allowed to touch it because it might fall apart. Right. Well in so you can be in a perfect environment and still be in the wrong environment. You weren't built for it. So like if you're thinking like uh, if you think about furniture made a hundred years ago, how many people had air conditioning a hundred years ago, right? No, nobody. Exactly. So this this humidity, they were expecting a higher level of humidity, right? Yeah. And now we have like times where there's no humidity in your house, well, relatively speaking. Well, yeah, I live in southern Alberta, so there is no humidity in my house right now. I think yeah. my relative humidity is like twenty percent. Right. And it rained yesterday. <laughs> well, all that, yeah. So you, what, like, I think that's true about people too, is that you could be built for a purpose that you're not in the right environment for, right? It, even it might have been a good environment at one point, but now because of like you talked about, like a little trauma uh, or whatever, it's you're no longer, it's no longer the right place for you. I think you got to like think about that when you're you know, considering what your, where your life is going. Yeah. hundred percent. And a lot of people, are you familiar with the sunk cost fallacy? Yes, very much. I think that happens as well. You know, people like my, myself included, I'm, you know, I, I put almost 11 years into my post-secondary education at this point. And then here I am going back and going to school again. And, and it, it's been a mental burden for me because I have this I I spent this much money on on my education I spent this all of this stuff and mm-hmm. and to to be truthful I probably completed my chiropractic degree 
because of the sunk cost fallacy. Like I've always kind of not liked my job, but uh, you know, at this point I've spent this much money, I've got to do it. And anyway, here I am. Uh, yeah, again, the vicarious trauma of my youth has has created this in my th- this problem in my psyche. But right, well, so you you said vicarious trauma, and that's the thing I kind of wanted to talk about because of the the work I've done. Uh, I don't feel like I've had a very traumatic life. I don't think I've gone through a lot of traumatic things in my life, but I have uh, working for the government read. Uh, a lot of traumatic things. Um, if just yesterday or the day before when we're recording this was uh, Orange Shirt Day. And uh, one of the first places I worked was helping to resolve the Indian Residential School's claims. And I read thousands of uh, descriptions of physical and sexual abuse of kids. And I called people who were apparently, who were alleged to have conducted these acts. And I called hundreds of those people to ask them whether or not they wanted to participate in the process to either deny it or some uh, would admit to it Um, because there was a lot of student-on-student abuse too. So these were like people who had been abused who were then abusing. Anyways, all that to say, uh, I have read a lot. And so vicarious trauma is something that to me, I – I've never been diagnosed with it, but I guarantee this is something that affects me. Um, and, it, and it's one of those things that kind of starts to affect the way you see life and the way, you know, you get this, another term for it, it's like compassion fatigue. Um, because you stop having compassion for the people you're trying to help, right? And now I deal with uh, complaints from the mainly the military Um, people who feel like they're not being treated fairly in the military. And I deal with other people who I think at some points have gotten to this point of they've heard so much. You know, there's a lot of horror stories about people being mistreated in the military. And then on top of that, you know, they can have their own traumatic experience that even if you don't ask about it, they end up telling you, right? Like it's not part of what they're calling you, but they want you to understand where they're coming from, which I get it. And I'm, You know, I get paid to listen, I guess, but it affects uh, me. And then from that, so even if you're not, if even if you've never been through anything traumatic, you can still get affected by anyone telling you about their stories. Um, Yeah, Uh, I. It's very, very true, and 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 vicarious trauma like that is is one of the major things that we discuss in my master's program because of like you said also compassion fatigue right you get you you hear other people's problems so much that you become burnt out or become traumatized yourself or begin to begin to suspect everybody of you know the the reality of life is there is there's evil people out there there's bad people who are going to do bad things but sometimes you get to the point in your head where everybody's a bad person because that's all you ever hear right and yeah and and that is definitely the hard part. So then you go, like when I'm walking through crowds of people, like in my mind, I know I'm having this like, you know, I even if it's like one percent of the population are these evil people, regardless of their evil. It's probably not even that high, 
But in my mind, it's like up in the 10%. Like if I see a hundred people, 10 of them are bad people, right? In my mind, they're either, they've done like, you know, they're sexual abusers, they're murderers. There's something wrong with these people. So who are they? Like, I'm going to go, you know, maker camp. There's going to be a bunch of people there. There's going to be bad people there. I guarantee it. Right? Yeah. But is it really? I don't know. Is that just like my, my, uh, you know, problematic seeing, seeing the bad? And so I try and combat it by trying to see the good in everyone. Um, even in bad people, uh, you know, people who are convicted, I think, still have rights, still need to be treated fairly, right? Even just because you're a bad person doesn't mean, you know, we should just treat you like garbage. We should also treat, you know, try and, depending on the people, because there's some exceptions uh, to this. But I think, you know, we should try and, just because someone's made a mistake, you shouldn't, like, I don't know, you shouldn't treat them like garbage i guess yeah um interesting that you you bring that that up and and uh i don't know if you have any religious affiliation or not uh, but i i I do and we were religious religiousness aside Mm -hmm. uh yesterday i was listening to some what we call is a general conference and so just kind of church leadership were giving talks and stuff and and one of the things that they talked about was uh this guy shared a story about being sprayed by a skunk right and so he gets sprayed by a skunk and he goes in and he showers himself off and and he you know with the tomato juice and the whole nine yards and he became nose blind to the smell. Right. You know, so he thought he was clean. And so then he goes out into into the public and goes to a movie with his with his family, his wife who also had got sprayed. And so they're both nose blind to this smell of the skunk. And they get to the theater and and uh, they sit down and start watching the movie and and then about 5 minutes in people people start around them start commenting, "Oh, I think I'm going to go get some popcorn." And they go out get popcorn and then come and sit back somewhere else. And so after after the third or fourth person who did this, they realized that oh, we must still smell like skunk because everybody around them had moved away. Nobody said anything mean. But the point of his story was everybody has some sort of problem. Right. And just because your problem doesn't stink to you doesn't mean that it doesn't stink to other people and so we shouldn't judge anybody based on their you know like oh you smell bad because you probably smell bad too right and i think that's the case in most in most people's lives like nobody's perfect uh but but uh, but when you become so focused on the on the trauma that you see or or you've heard or stuff like that then you become a lot more negative about looking around at people and judging them and forgetting that yeah you probably have a probably have a problem to work on yourself and so you need to give them a little bit of leeway as well right and i always think about it so if you ever had a bad day but you've been out in public and so there's you're just having like either you got some bad news or whatever it was you're out in public and it's really affecting you and so you know, a lot of people react differently. You could have been sad. You could have been angry or whatever it was. And then you have to deal with people because you're out in public. Like, you know, you're riding the bus or you're, go, you know, you're in line to 
get coffee at Tim Hortons or something and you're just having a bad day and, you know, you might want to take that out on some other people. And the way I always try and get myself around that is I go, you know, all these other people could be having a bad day too. And you don't know what they're going through. They could be having a worse day than you. They could have just found out that their parents died, but they had to come into work anyways because their boss wouldn't let them have the day off and they didn't know to stand up for it, right? Or whatever, you know, like a million things could have happened that day. Um, And so I always think about it like treat everyone, like, I don't treat everyone well, but it's like if anyone ever gives you a, a little bit of attitude or something, I always go in my mind like, ah, maybe they're just having a bad day, right? I should just be, you know, try and make their day better instead of like, and I know I'm really bad at it, like reacting with more anger, right? Someone's angry at you, then you come over the top with even more angry, right? Someone flips you the bird, well, you flip them two birds, you know, whatever. Uh, So, you know, try and think about it. If they're doing that, there's something happening to them that's causing it. Uh, And they may not realize it. Like you said, they might be this, you know, sprayed by the skunk and thought they got it all off. Yeah. I, uh, in that vein, the first video that I had that really kind of blew up, I started getting the the stupid comments and they'd make me mad. Right. And, uh, around the same time, I think it was, I, I was listening to another, it was a, it was a book or a, something about, you know, treating everybody nice and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I... And and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> and and so I, I realized that that's probably true. You know, mo- most of these people on the internet are commenting and they're, they're not thinking about what they're saying. And so I, I put a, um, a keyboard shortcut on my... I've never seen that before. Yeah, was, that's weird. Huh. So for, for those of you who need to now go on to Patreon and... <laughs> And uh, watch the video. Version. Watch the video feed. If I put my thumb up in front of my camera, a little thumb up shows up on the. Your yours doesn't do it, eh? No, my camera doesn't do it. They won't. No thumbs up for me. Huh? Are you on a Mac? <laughs> no. Maybe it's a Mac thing. Maybe. Huh. Anyway, where was I? The total, <laughs> totally distracted there. Um, You're uh, reading a book and blah blah blah. And blah blah blah. Oh, keyboard shortcut. That's what it is. So now when I get a negative comment on uh, on a video, I just type in HTB and it brings up it brings up the phrase says, "Hey, I'm sorry you're having a bad day. I hope tomorrow's better for you." Nice. And and that you know, takes me takes me 1 second to do that. And it's surprising how many people will comment back and 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 so let's say you get 10% negative comments, right? Like that seems to be about what you get. It depends on the on the particular video. That's, that's true. That's about what I get. Yeah, I'd about say overall I'd probably get less than 10% overall of all my comments. Probably. But on a, on, a, on a viral video, I can see it's probably 10%. Yeah, I, I guess, yeah. So so when, when you're starting to get lots of comments. But anyway, 99% of those people, when you respond with something like that, they will respond to the comment and go, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to be a jerk. I'm just having a rough day and then blah, 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 blah. Right. And then that that 0.1% of everybody who comes back at you with some sort of offensive comment, 
you know, they're just, they're, they're probably the pieces of garbage people that you don't ever want to talk to anyway. So, right. Well, so in this reminds me, I really wish, uh, that I, well, you can only have it cause you had the experience, but when I started getting negative comments, they would affect me. And then later I learned how to deal with them. Like Chris Powell was actually a really big help and Austin from high caliber craftsman, just helping to respond to the comments in ways that are, uh, like either just shut them up or get get them angry more or or like sometimes it's it's just like saying sure like I don't need to deal with this right like I don't just saying sure should be enough when you're saying a bunch of like negative things to me and when they get really excited from that like what I say now is like I'm sorry that this I'm sorry that that what you're looking for you weren't able to find what you're looking for in this video yeah that's a good right? response my I had one guy he just doesn't matter what I say. He'd come back at me about something. And, and so finally I, I commented, you know, he's like, oh, this is such a waste of time, this video. And I was like, it totally is. I, I 100% agree with you, but I really appreciate your commenting because every time you come back, you improve my engagement metrics and you show this video to more people. So you are making me money and I really appreciate it. If you want to argue some more, let's go. He never commented again. <laughs> nice. It's like, wait a minute, I'm actually helping you. Right. A lot of people don't get, like, when people say, like, like why like why is this? I, I also, a lot of people, like, I don't understand the world. And they'll, like, comment on a video, why am I seeing this? As if I'm the one who's showing the video has any control over why Facebook or Instagram or TikTok showed you this video. Yeah. And as if... Writing that will somehow affect it in the future. Well, and that's that's what the the funny part about that is. People who comment that that are offended that they're seeing your video, the fact that you took the time to comment means that that algorithm is going to push more of that content at you. Right. It's just. Yeah. Uh, anyway, thinking about, do you think that, like, do you think that these people who comment? such negative things have gone through some sort of trauma? Is this what is trauma? The thing that is, uh, causing people to have problems with social interactions, you know, like this negative stuff that we're doing here. Like, is that what it is or that's actually what I was going to say. I was going to say exactly that to you, but you beat me to it. So great. Thank you for interviewing me on this podcast. <laughs> Um, it's, yeah, I, I think that's actually what it is because I, prior to starting this degree in psychology, I, I will admit that I, I swing to the more, I, I don't want to say conservative in the, in the, I agree with the KKK and anti-environmentalists groups. Right. But, but I grew up my, my, my personal background trauma is I grew up on a farm and, and, you know, it's the, you know, my, my, my dad was born during world war two. And so that's the, wow. yeah, my dad's, my dad's 82 this year, but, and so, so my, my upbringing was very much, you don't cry because that's a sign of weakness. You don't tell people you need help. Because if you can't do it yourself, you're not a valuable human being, right? 
And, and so prior to starting this degree in psychology, trauma to me was a, a snowflake term for lack of a better way to say it. It was like, oh, I have trauma from this. I have trauma from that. So for me, trauma is I went through the war or I, you know, my husband was killed in front of me. That to me was what trauma is. But now? But but now, I think we use, I still think we use the word trauma a little bit too liberally. Because, but, you know, I don't think you're traumatized because your parents disciplined you as a child. Can you be damaged from that? 100%. But was it trauma? Like, there's a, there's a, the, uh, are you familiar with C.S. Lewis? At all? Yep. So Chronicles of Narnia, right? Yep. I was reading one of his books and one of his kind of more philosophy books, and he talks about the power and the importance of words. And if you if you use, for example, uh, a gentleman, mm-hmm. that's the example he was using. A gentleman used to mean a person who owned land. And that's what it meant. Right. And so. As as time progressed, the the word became more and more vague. To he's a gentleman means he's a good person, but he right. makes this argument of we already have a word that means he's a good person, and that's he's a good person. Uh-huh. And so we we bring this we bring this word trauma into into play in all of these different situations where where you know. My mom yelled at me when I was five years old. My mother was killed in front of me in the in the Holocaust. You know, right. These are these are vastly vastly different experiences, but we use the same word for it. And this is something that I feel really strongly about as well. Is when we're talking to someone, we need to define these words we're using. To make sure we're talking about the words the same way, right? And this is where uh, politicians are often very good at utilizing words in ways that they mean them a specific way, whichever way they lean. It doesn't matter. They all do it. Yep. And we're hearing them the way we think about them. And I'll give an example, like the party of family values. And what you know, an average person hearing that is going to think, oh, well, I have a family. I think family values are a good thing. I like, you know, my wife, my kids, whatever, or my two husbands, my, you know, they could, I, you could say a gay family. Yeah, I'm good with that. But the party of family values doesn't want a gay family, right? That's what they're trying to say. That's what their message is, is that they only want a particular looking family um, with that. And I had a friend who was very conservative, but also very open with this other stuff. And he didn't know that. And I said, go look it up. Go look on their website and see what they mean by it. Look into it further and not the, like, slogan. You need to delve deep into how the people are using words. And I think someone who's really good at using words and and I think is really good at at getting to the nuance of stuff is Nick Offerman. Um, And if you've read his books, like, he definitely, like, one, he uses a lot of, like, uh, different words. So he likes to... I'm sure he's got a really good thesaurus out there, but he, he does talk about like the usage of words and why they mean something and what they mean and how, how they've somehow 
changed over time or or how they don't mean what we think they mean um well we end up we end up interpreting everything through the basis of our perception and that's a that's another cognitive bias that everybody has is is that that i i assume that you believe what i believe and so when i use a specific word i assume that you know what i mean by that and that you you understand that word to be the same way and that goes to your to your like party of family values it's that's that's true and and then going going to the the vicarious trauma or whatever of youtube commenters yeah it's it's they i've noticed a lot of times that they often will argue with you about the point that you made but you didn't use the word they would use and yes. so you're like you're going you're you're trying to tell me something that i said but you just are saying it differently right so i was recently got into some uh arguments online about residential schools because it's something that i one have a lot of knowledge about and two have a, a pretty big uh, a care factor in it in my life and uh everyone says the last residential school closed in 1996 and it didn't it closed in 1998 um and the big difference is uh, over time after the 70s and into the 80s especially in the 80s they transferred control of the schools to the bands and this becomes relevant because not all of them were able to be can't transferred but when they transferred them to the bands they still had a fiduciary responsibility because they only got the money for the school if they did reporting and like they basically just who the check was signed by just changed for all the employees right so the last one closed in 1998 and I got in all these arguments with people who kept going, well, no, this website says this, this says this, this says this. And they're like, no, the last federally run one closed in 1996. And I said, yeah, in the last residential school closed in 1998. And I go, we're talking about residential schools here. If you start talking about putting adjectives in front of them, then yes, you can make more specific. The last Catholic one closed in 1970, right? The last catholic run residential school closed in 1970 okay great but guess what church was still involved until 1998 they still had a church on the thing the church that just transferred the control over to the government who then took and hired all these people who worked there and anyways you have to like using the words words have meaning words have nuance and you know they change over time and you need to be really to have a good conversation with anyone about anything, uh, you know, well-informed debate about something, you need to get down to what do you mean by when you say this? And I want to make sure we're on the same page before we argue about the same point for an hour on the internet. Yeah, 100%. Right? But, what, so, instead of using trauma, I was talking with a, uh, a doctor uh, who does uh, reports. Uh, she's an epidem- epidemiologist. I believe that's the way you say it. Epidemiologist. Uh, The epidemiologist. See, words have pronunciations too. I'm just not very good at it. Uh, But she did this study, um, and this is for work, so this is how it all ties into something I know. So she was doing this study about uh, childhood maltreatment. So she didn't use the word trauma. She used maltreatment because maltreatment is the experience. Trauma is what happened, right? So this is where I think using the term maltreatment – uh, could help that vocabulary that you're talking about of not 
knowing it. Anyways, it, the basic of it was uh, if you're in the you're you're more likely to have gone through a maltreatment if you're in the Canadian Armed Forces, and then if you are later you, you do go through this just general statistic is there's more people in the Canadian Armed Forces that have gone through maltreatment as a child. And then secondly, if you have gone through maltreatment as a child and then suffer some sort of traumatic experience as an adult, you're more likely to have a worse reaction. So uh, the doctor's name is Dr. Afifi. If anyone wants to look into it, she has uh, some reports on that that are long, but that's like the, the pull away that I took out of it is uh, the the amount of people that I'm going to be dealing with, uh, I'm going to, you know, I don't want to assume everyone's gone through it, but I want to be mindful of the fact that this is something that could be affecting them. And then on top of that, I want to be mindful of the fact that if they've talked about some sort of traumatic experience, it's more likely they'll have a more severe effect um, and take that into consideration while I'm dealing with whatever I'm dealing with. Because I'm not a psychologist, I'm not going to be dealing with their feelings or anything or helping them through that. But being mindful of that will help me with my work and dealing with them. Yeah, and that that actually the kind of the flip side of that that same coin. I just ran across a a study called the the Dartmouth Scar Study. Okay. I, I think I've seen a, a video or two about it on social media, so some people might have seen it, but. What happened is they took these these women and they they did a makeup scar on them, right? Like mm. cosmetic makeup, and and told them that this study is about uh, interviewers' reactions to facial disfigurement, and so we you're going to go do these these job interviews, and we want you to report back how how they reacted based on your you know if if you felt like you were treated differently because you have a scar on your face right right and so then but then before they went left the room the makeup artist said okay let's let's just touch this up make sure it looks really good and and authentic and and what they did is they actually removed the scar and so they so they showed the woman the the scar in the mirror and, and then talked about this thing. And then they removed the scar and the person left the room thinking that they still had this scar on. Right. And so then they went through these series of interviews and they were something on the order of 40 to 60% more likely to report uh, negative feedback or negative right. responses from these people who were interviewing them. And so the takeaway of the study was if you were primed to assume that you're going to be victimized then you're more yeah. likely to feel victimized right. and and i think that goes to experience as a child or experience throughout your life where or or, or the vicarious trauma thing you you can only experience what you know and so if you if you know violence or if you know being victimized at some point then then you can observe that and you're more likely to report it in the future but then going back to our earlier conversation the flip side of that is the the people who smell like a skunk don't realize that they smell like a skunk and they're using words that you feel are tra traumatizing to you when they right. didn't actually intend that 
intention is such a hard thing. Um, so I'll to first two things. One, a lot of people who've gone through something think everyone's gone through it. That's one of the big things they found out of this this studies that they were doing. So people think that wasn't maltreatment because and everyone must have gone through it, right? Whatever. Yeah. You know they got whatever maltreatment they went through, unless it is the like highest level that you see in movies as for maltreatment. But if it's the low, you know, the stuff that's, I don't want to call it lower level, but just like not as uh, dramatic, then people think that's what everyone went through. But the other thing is, um, where was I going with this? What was your last words? I don't remember. Skunks. We'll have to play it back. Yeah, skunks. People yeah. who so don't. You were talking uh... Right. So, uh, you know, when we think that, uh, if you think that you, if you go into a conversation thinking everyone's gone through what you've gone through and you treat them that way, then that becomes problematic, right? But intention, that's what it was. You were talking about intention. It is so important to understand people's intention and everybody judges people. They judge themselves on their intentions and they judge everyone else on their actions. And it yeah. is a huge thing that when I when somebody told that to me I went oh my god that like flipped a switch in my brain yeah I, I actually just read a couple studies because my, my current course is ethics and uh, and yeah there's there's lots of studies where where yeah people people will judge themselves well I had a good intention but everybody judges them on their action and that's right. very true and that, and that's so, where going going down the route down the route of extreme trauma, uh, that was one of the things that arose from the Nuremberg trials. You know, like the post post Nazi Germany right. stuff was. There's all of these people that that they were just doing their jobs. They weren't in and of themselves evil people, but they they were just doing what they were supposed to be doing. And and. Uh, to, to to speak to you know my my innate prejudice against people who work for the government the uh, the the term the bureaucracy of evil came out right. of that or the banality of evil where where people they 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 do inherently evil things but they have no responsibility for it because of somebody else's job or somebody else is responsible for it or, or they, their intention was to do a good thing, but their position was manipulated into it being a, a bad thing. So I deal with that a lot. Um, it's like these, so there's like Canadian Armed Forces members, I'm sure just like the Americans, they end up getting posted to different bases. And it's all part of a big giant machine of you know, so many positions to fill, so many people to fill them, only certain qualifications, certain ranks need to get moved around. And so you'll have these people who go, well, I I need a X rank here. I need a, you know, master corporal here. So I'm going to give this corporal a promotion, get him over there. He's going to be, he's going to love it. He's going to get a promotion out of this deal, right? And the intention is good, right? But they never check with the guy or girl and go, is this something you're interested in? And the guy goes, well, right now, probably not, because we, after spending so, you know, I was got posted here two years ago, and we got on the list for a oncologist, and because my wife got found out that she has cancer, and 
we just got into the oncologist and now you want to post me to Cold Lake, Alberta, where there's no oncologist? I don't know. I'm not taking a promotion for that, right? Like, so the intention was good, but it definitely had a harm on this person's family, right? So these are the types of things that I often deal with is, is that people, uh, people don't, you know, you gotta, you gotta check yourself, right? You gotta check what, what you're doing. Is it actually having the intent you want? Are your actions having the intent you want? Because intentions matter so much, but they also don't. So if you drop a brick on my foot, my foot is broken, whether you meant to drop it or not, right? Yes, yeah, the the saying the road to hell is paved with good intentions, right? Right. Yeah. No. Well, anyways, I I think a, a lot of this is like what I I like to take is that whole if you think if someone is reacting in a way you're not expecting to whatever you're doing, roll it back and figure out whether or not your actions and intentions are known, and then have a conversation with that person, right? Because if you if if you are doing something and someone is and you think it's going to be good for them, whatever it is, right, and they like react in a negative way, you need to figure out why that person is reacting negatively, because they don't know your intentions, they don't know why you did something, they like I I know it's probably not like a it's going to make me sound like a, a little whiny baby, but uh, so we're in the hospital after my wife. Uh, gives birth and um well and you know we've been if you have kids and you've gone through that process and you've been in the room it, you don't get any sleep at all and so my mother-in-law uh comes to visit us uh despite us t- we told her when to come she comes early so that all of a sudden i'm already defensive about that because we weren't ready to to have her come in the room and stuff but whatever she's there and she's like she's like i got you coffee and she got me a coffee and she's like and i got you cream and sugar because i didn't know how you took it and i'm like well you could have texted me but i don't like cream in my coffee i like milk in my coffee it's not like a big deal it makes me feel like a little whiny baby but i hadn't really slept and i didn't really say anything to her at the time but i was just like her i know her intentions were good she was trying to be nice bring this coffee right but uh, the whole time i was just thinking like you know, you've known me for this long and you don't know how I take my coffee and you don't and you can't be bothered to like think that someone would want milk in their coffee instead of cream. And, I, and that's like going through my mind because I haven't slept enough and I'm just like I'm sure on my face it looks like it. Uh, but it was just one of those things where you just go, I, I want to like I know the intentions were good, but I also know that they weren't fully thought out. Yeah, and, and that's. Then, but then you then you go down the route of, you know, well maybe I shouldn't do anything because I don't want to offend anybody and that and you know going back to our trauma, that's why why I think words are important and how they're used and having that defined thing of this is what this word means and we only use it in this situation. But then then you have to ask well. You know, maybe you feel that maybe you feel that somebody offering cream in your coffee is the equivalent of of you know the Holocaust, but well, well, then that's a problem. Well, and, yeah, and, and that's where like, it's it's really it. That's why the world's a confusing place. I guess that's where we need to. 
and this is so I, and I tell that story I know people are gonna say like Grant you're an idiot and I get it I, I am like but in the in the time I was just like mad about it because I was just hadn't slept and there's crying babies and very stressful situation with c-sections and all that stuff and and uh anyways that I didn't actually have to go through I just had to sit there and you know but someone else I, and maybe that was part of the thing it's like I felt like I'm usually in control of situations and can help people. And now we're in a C-section situation and nothing we had planned was going as planned. And, and then on top of that, the mother-in-law shows up an hour early. And anyways, I don't know. I can, I, I can somewhat that- relate to you because our, our first, our oldest, he was born at 30 weeks. Uh, unexpectedly. We were, I was going to school in Portland and we were literally six hours away from driving up north to go back to Canada for my wife to stay with her, her parents until the baby was born. Right. And her water breaks in the middle of the night and we go to the hospital oh, and five days later, here we have this, this American citizen and, uh, and like just completely out of control, not no preparation, nothing, you know, it was just, yeah, I can understand being stressed stressed out in situations like that and your reactions aren't always appropriate right so with that that all comes back to um if someone's reacting in a way that's not appropriate for the situation there's probably something more behind it yeah and and it would be better if we all assumed that you know and that's that's where i think treating having having a better expectation of people around us than perhaps we we do normally is probably a good thing for that reason you know and 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 move beyond move beyond the labels that we put on people you know especially especially if you're going down like racially stereotypical labels or or labels in general and 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 recognize that we're all we're all members of the same human race. We're all, you know, we're all trying to, we're all trying for the same thing. We're all trying to be happy and successful in our lives. And the, the, the 0.1% of people who aren't doing that, there's something seriously wrong with them. Definitely. And it reminds me of this meme and I was just trying to look it up, but I couldn't find it where it's like, Oh, there I found it. It's like, Oh, we should improve society somewhat. And then it's like someone saying, oh, and yet you, you participate in society. Curious, <laughs> right? It's like this, you know, this person like, uh, like that's the way you shouldn't be doing living your life. Isn't like just because somebody is participating in something, a political party or whatever, uh, they aren't necessarily uh, not. They don't agree with ever 100% of everything in there, right? They're not whether you call them a you know a socialist a capitalist whatever the thing whatever label you put on someone doesn't make them inher- like 100% of whatever you think that is yeah. because your understanding of that is based on your experience and your history yeah uh right yeah have you ever you ever read um hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy mhm one well, one of my favorite lines ever is from is from there it's near the beginning of the book where they where the world's the earth is about to be destroyed and uh it talks about is it near the beginning it's maybe it's farther in but anyway it talks about 
Nancy Millstone Jennings, I think is who the character is, who comes up with the idea that's going to solve all the world's problems and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and Douglas Adams makes the comment in the book that about 2,000 years after one man had been nailed to a tree for suggesting that maybe we should just be nice to everybody for a change. Right. That's... Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's it's so funny that uh, you know though it's yeah it it's he had such a good take and on the universe and life and everything really um, forty two, but uh, in reality, like yeah, it's definitely one of those things where you just look at it and go. Uh, if everyone, when you try and just tell people, hey, we should just be a little bit nicer to everyone, people tend to respond negatively in well, that way. But they they tend to say, yes, we should be nice to everybody except for those people, right? <laughs> but and they say it about all the people. Yeah, doesn't whoever you talk to, there's people that they think that don't deserve the niceness. Yep. Um, I don't know. Anyway, but, we should probably wrap it up there. Yeah, but. Yeah, I appreciate the conversation. I appreciate uh, the time that you're taking out of your your holiday today. Speaking yes. of wow. of trauma and nath- National Truth and Reconciliation Day, right? Isn't that what it is here? Yes, yes that that is that's an or orange shirt day, if the more colloquial start of it. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so it was a good conversation. Thank you for having me. So yeah, where where can everybody was... find you, the Grant Alexander? Yeah, if you want to find me, you can look on all the social media places and and look for the Grant Alexander, and I'll I'll usually pop up the first one. Um, look for an orange logo, and uh, and that'll be me. But uh, is, yeah, I speaking a, of I, orange shirt day, is that intentional for that reason, or is that just a coincidence? Just a coincidence. Because right, you said uh, that that was big for you, and so I'm just clicking well, in my head. It, it's so it's big for me for a couple of reasons, just because like I'm part indigenous uh, my mother was taken uh from her family uh in uh the in when she was born in the 50s uh which they call the 60s scoop uh which anyway started in the 50s or whatever they put names on stuff that make it so that it, like people now go well how could it happen at 60s scoop and it ha- she was born in 57 uh all that to say and she got taken as a kid, so I never grew up with my indigenous uh, heritage. But when I found out about it, I've tried to like connect with that, and uh, also recognizing like I wouldn't exist if that had if that traumatic thing hadn't happened to her. But that her trauma definitely affected me, right? Like it's such a weird place to live in when you go. That should never have happened, but if it never happened, I wouldn't be alive. It's it's one of those it's one of those things where where what's the difference between a lump of coal and a diamond? Right. Nothing but a ton of pressure. Right. You know, or or like what's the difference between your average rough rock laying on the road and a polished stone? A lot of bloody trauma. That's what. Right. You know, and and that's where that's where it's hard to. I get I get frustrated from from my side when people try to erase the past. You know, oh, we shouldn't we shouldn't talk about that because it was you know negative for people or it was traumatic and it caused this trauma. But 
but yeah, but it is part of our history and it is what has created this point for us. You know, we have got to this point because that has happened. Right. Well, and I think, so I think the there's two you problems know, here. And if we got a little bit of time, we can, do you want to put this in the after why don't, show? I was about to say, why don't we just switch over to the after show now All right. and, uh, you know, use that as a, uh, what do you call it? A hook. There you go. So let's go. So Well, thank you very much for uh, having me on. And let's continue our conversation in 30 seconds. All right. I just want to say thank you to the founding members of the Workshop Therapy Patreon family. Eric of Overall MakerWorks. Keith Drennan of Blackthorn Concepts. Brad of Brad's Customs. Matthew Serio from Arciano Serio. And the Grant Alexander. If you want to join on Patreon to support the show or just say thank you, I'd appreciate it.